I, okay, I was going to save this for a cold open on the next episode, but I'm still really hyped on it, so I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> on my last on my last comic book stream on Twitch, yeah. I finally finally found the volume of comics that has been stressing me out trying to find because no one else remembered this storyline and I fu- I knew it existed. I knew it existed and I found it and it was Matt Fraction's Defenders which had no uh, no excuse being as like universally significant as it was having drenched in so much lore yes yeah but the second volume he he his you know his la- his run was like one year yeah the second volume talks about concordance engines engines and the beings, the the omniversal beings that control the concordance engines, kept them in six one six, and concordance engines basically influence and maintain the multiverse. Yeah, I think I don't remember the exact definitions, but it doesn't matter. So they keep them in six one six, and then. They look at all of the outcomes of all of the big heroes throughout the multiverse, and they take the best possible outcome for each of those realities and Mm -hmm. puts them in 616 to guard the concordance engines. So if any omniversal being came to 616 to deal with the concordance engines, they have the best possible omniversal defense in 616. Right. And they 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 referenced like all the different ways that the Fantastic Four would react to the cosmic rays, how powerful mutants ended up becoming, the effects of the super soldier serum for Captain America, mm-hmm. the path that uh, Tony Stark ends up taking to become Iron Man, all that stuff. The version we have in six one six is the like the most ideal outcome. Yeah, make which is why six one six is referred to as the prime universe for colloquially, and then also it also explains why six one six Peter Parker Spider Man is always voted as the leader in all the Spider Verse events, which there's been like three of so far, because he is the best version of Peter Parker that there can be. And again, it's kind of a retroactive. I was about to say retroactive continuity, but that means something different. Like, that is what retcon <laughs> means, right? Right. <laughs> but it's like, we're, it's it's a way to make sense of all of these, like, Goldilocks timeline things happening retrospectively. It's like, right. we, we need to keep having this narrative and this soap opera going, so we need to have all of these you know, unlikely events happening. And then, hmm, a whole lot of unlikely events have happened. Let's uh, let's find some reason behind it. Uh, it's just, like, it's such a random and easy way to explain why <laughs> Earth is the only planet that has survived Galactus at right. all, but multiple times. <laughs> right. It has held back celestial incursions and the final hosts and all these other really random things that makes earth a player in the cosmic like spectacle, but we still don't have 
the average human traveling into space. But then also, <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, I was so incredibly hyped that I found it. And, <laughs> and now I know where it is and it's tagged and cataloged and I can go and find that box and that book whenever I want. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm very happy for you. Thanks. <laughs> so that's what I was doing over the weekend. Cool. Uh, what were you doing? I was camping in the Grand Canyon. That's awesome. It was that just awesome. sounds really cool. <laughs> I know. I can just like bust that right out. Be like, yes. Yeah. Went for uh, Rachel's brother's wedding. Had a fantastic time. <laughs> Drank a little too much tequila the night before a hike into the Grand Canyon. And was, uh-huh. you know, it, it hiking in the desert is both a good way to cure a hangover and also a terrible one. <laughs> no, it 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 was fantastic. No notes. Grand Canyon. It, Grand Canyon is one of those places where it's like you can look at pictures and be like, I know what this is all about, and mm-hmm. you go, and that's true. It's it's nothing different from what you expected. It's just better. it's just a lot fucking better yeah i'm not you know normally an outdoorsy kind of guy and not like opposed to it i just don't don't make a priority of it it doesn't happen that often but uh camping's great yeah good times are you do you that's cool do you ever i can't picture you camping it's because i don't okay camping okay <laughs> no yeah that's literally like the next thing i was about to say i was like i mean that's cool uh, i'm not much of a camper yeah yeah <laughs> it's funny because i can sleep anywhere i'll sleep on the ground i don't really care about that that I is just, true about you i've seen <laughs> i seen it <laughs> i just uh creature comforts i i guess i don't know it's loud like mm. Sleeping bags and tent, like tarps, like all that stuff is just loud. So, like, if I shift, it makes mm. a bunch of noise, which then it's going to wake up my wife mm. in the exact same little dome as me. Sure. Like, conceptually, there isn't a whole lot that I don't like about camping. It's just not something I ever plan on doing. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's kind of like me and the beach. <laughs> like, I don't have anything specifically against the beach other than that, like, sand is, like, the glitter of the earth. <laughs> but I'm not going to make plans to go to the beach. But if I get invited to the beach, you will have go. a good time. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. <sighs> yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah. Santa Barbara is a little wasted on you. But yes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it really is. Oh, man. But the ocean weathers damn near impossible to beat oh yeah tell me about it like going back going to the grand canyon just being like it's too dry and then coming back (laughs) to uh new york and be like it's too humid (laughs) a little santa santa spoiled little santa barbara baby Superpower. 
we talk about comics and things that we're hyped on and you know we also hang out thanks for coming and hanging out with us okay is that enough of an intro yeah sure <laughs> okay miracles of modern technology uh what'd you read this week this week i should say for this episode because i've read more i read winter guard yeah which was fun and interesting deadpool black white and blood oh yeah which was Man, very that, Deadpool. That came very quick. You you said that another Black, White, and Blood was coming, and I didn't expect it within <laughs> two episodes or whatever. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like right now, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood is coming out. Okay. And so it'll be another like three months before I get it. You're only three months behind now. Well, oh, oh, Black, oh, White, and Blood oh. is only four issues. Oh, you mean it's coming out in in floppies? Yeah, like issue okay. one came out like two weeks ago. How far behind are you on your shelf as far as um, behind the trade release schedule? So I have about 20-ish trades on my shelf, which on average puts me at about two and a half months. But okay. the last two weeks, including like this week, nothing has come out. Oh, so you're And then before that was ground. two books. Yeah, before that was two books. Before that was one book. So, yeah. Cool. I'm excited for you to catch up. Me too, man. Oh my gosh. And then, so I took advantage and I read The Death of Doctor Strange. You know what's really funny? Is the back of Immortal Hulk, when that first page, first sentence said, Doctor Strange is dead. Right. And you're like, what does this have to do with Hulk? Not okay. the same Doctor Strange. <laughs> Not the same dead? D- yeah. Okay. So because okay, it says it says Doctor Strange is dead. All all that is left is a charred skeleton. And now that I've read the death of Doctor Strange, that is not how he dies. Huh. Yeah. So we'll go more into that on the next episode because I am currently halfway through Mortal Hulk. So we'll talk about that. Because I cool. think that'll be used down the line. Cool. I read Magneto War finally. Yay! Sorry, did you Did you one? like it? Was it good? Oh, uh, no, it's just Death of Dr. Strange and Death of Dr. Strange Companion. Excellent. Which I think we'll spend most of our time on that book. Cool. To answer your previous question, no, no, I didn't like Magneto War. It was bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll talk through why. Again, because I can't pull myself away from the big picture. So much of it is just like, why did you choose to end this arc this way? Mm. why is this story happening in this way towards this direction? And yeah, some inexplicable things. Cool. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to hear what, why that critique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we talk comics? Yes. Yes. Get us going. Get us moving. All right. So first up, we, so first up is winter guard and this takes place in the middle of the last volume of Avengers, when we were doing uh, World War She-Hulk, I guess right before the last volume of Avengers, because they are talking about... Oh, no, they already... Sorry. They already have She-Hulk captured, and right. the Avengers don't know where yet. Because in the Avengers volume, they had had She-Hulk captured for, I think three weeks before they found where she was. Okay. And so this kind of happens in the middle there. 
So this is called Operation Snowblind, and it focuses on Yelena Belova and Red Guardian. I was going to say the original Red Guardian, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> because so basically, Red Guardian is Russian Captain America. Yes, people got introduced to him in the Black Widow movie along with Yelena. Yep, these two, I think will be the most resistant to MCU influence going forward. Okay. Because there's so much established backstory for these two characters in the comics that they cannot make. Okay, so Alexei, Red Guardian, and Natasha were married (laughs) before (laughs) he he became the super soldier and she she was in the Red Room. And that's not going to be a thing in MCU where they have Alexi being Black Widow's dad. (laughs) Okay, yeah. yeah. And then Florence Pugh's Yelena acts as like Natasha's little sister. Right. Whereas in this, she's the second Black Widow. She's also Red Room graduate. But... Mm -hmm they have so much history that they're not going to turn her into a little sister character. Yeah. There's no way. Right. Totally. But yeah. So this story focuses on the winter guard hunting red guardian and Yelena. Okay. They are defectors from, you know, the state. Sure. Yelena has been hanging out with black widow and we've seen, we've seen her in the black widow title. Mm Mm-hmm doing that kind of stuff. The current Winter Guard is Crimson Dynamo, Red Widow, who we don't know who she is, but she is reporting to the Red Room. Uh, Vostok, who is an android, basically a Russian vision. Perun and Chernobog, who are uh, Russian gods, god of thunder and god of darkness and lies. Vanguard, who is basically the new Red Guardian. Dark Star, who is basically Dark Star. a lower level. Yeah, she's Dark Star, but <laughs> <laughs> she's she's basically like a low level Captain Marvel. And then Ursa Major. with the Dark Forest Dimension powers, blah blah blah. Yeah. So here's something I found out before yeah. I even get into the actual story. I didn't know that Ursa Major, Dark Star, and Vanguard are all mutants. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yep. Hence Dark Star's death in you know whatever. X-Men storyline that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so like Ursa Major is literally just a giant bear and he's an alcoholic. And Vanguard and Darkstar are brother and sister. At least, like, I don't know if they're war brother and sister or they're like actual brother and sister because they mm-hmm. have different last names. <laughs> yeah. But they call each other brother and sister. Sure. So... You know, it could be steps. I don't know. <laughs> Who's to say? Who is to say? Yeah. So Red Guardian, Alexei, recruits Yelena to help him with this thing called Operation Snowblind. And it's basically Red Guardian wants to pull a Snowden and release all of these Russian secrets to weed out the bad players to bring about a new P 
pure Russia. Sure. Okay. In order to do that, he needs to go and get four of these secret hard drives that are across the nation, including one held by Dracula. And so, you know, vampires are involved. <laughs> Great. When if vampire, it seems like such a, like, just kind of a default. Like, uh, we have, <laughs> like, uh, four things we need to do. One of them, vampires, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's It's a trip around Russia to have skirmishes in different uh, theaters, all while giving a chance to travel between locations to have a little bit of character, insight, or development. Okay. I don't know. I'm not, I will not do a good job selling this book. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's not a bad book, Yeah, but it feels kind of cookie cutter. Sure. Yeah. I mean, someone betrays the winter guard to give Alexei a, like a remote to compromise the crimson, crimson dynamo. And so you take, the big mech out of the fight. Okay. Yeah. So just kind of like stuff happens kind of yeah. story. Sure. Chernabog, the Slavic god of darkness and lies, yeah. is loving this because okay. there's just lies everywhere and he's just feeding on it. Okay. He is showing interest in Darkstar on the surface because she's got she taps into the dark force and darkness and he's the God of darkness. I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but like, I feel bad because for whatever reason, it doesn't click for me, even though I've seen other gods and mortals have relationships. Uh Yeah. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't click for me when I'm reading it here. Part of it could be because Chernabog is designed like a monster. Yeah. And like, you know, he's just no lips, just giant jagged teeth. So you don't really see emotion Mm. on his face. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So I feel like that could be part of it. Mm -hmm. Perun is based, you know, he's Russian Thor. (laughs) And like you do. Yeah. So, you know, he has his big lightning moment. He, is kind of siding with conceptually he understands what red guardian is trying to do. And so okay. he's having a tough time really being part of the winter guard while red guardian is trying to, you know, refresh and renew Russia. Sure. And so he's having a, uh, bout with his conscience about it all. Just whatever it takes to even the playing field a bit more because Yelena and Red Guardian are, or Yelena and Alexei are human. (laughs) Like they're just two basic people going up against two gods, three mutants, (laughs) another trained assassin. It's kind of a lot. A mech and an android. Like the, you know, the, the tables are stacked against them. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Anyway. Does that make for an interesting dynamic? Like, is that explored well? Or is it just kind of there? Um, I mean, it kind of just highlights how capable Yelena and Alexei are. That's cool. Okay. 
and or highlights how poorly managed the Winter Guard is. Sure. Because Vanguard is supposed to be the leader, but Crimson Dynamo has his own ideas of him being the leader, and Red Widow continually just takes control. Ugh. And her being the most mysterious and lethal of the group leads to a lack of cohesiveness in the team. Sure. So, like, it, it's kind of one of those things where if you compare Winter Guard to Avengers, it's clear why the Avengers works and why the Winter Guard doesn't. Interesting. Okay. It's uh, it's just a lack of loyalty between heroes, quote unquote heroes. Interesting. I do feel bad because Winter Guard, like Winter Guard, are the Russian Avengers, and they're supposed to, they should be heroes. Sure. Yeah. Like conceptually, they should be heroes. Yeah. Yeah. But they are just. They're always painted lame. as the bad guy. Yeah, that is that is, and weird. they just don't get their time to be heroes. Yeah, because I mean, these are comics written from America, from an American <laughs> perspective. Right. I would be impressed if someone was able to write an, a, a Russian Avengers story to make them believable heroes. That that would be that would be good. Yeah, that's too. Bad. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, not a bad book. It's not going on the recommendation shelf. Sure. Primarily because you have these five issues of this plot line, but Alexei doesn't get all four hard drives by the end. Hmm. So like okay. his plan can only be 25% complete <laughs> but sure. at the end of the day. So it's like, eh, yeah, okay. but you just wanted someone told you to write a winter guard story and here we are. <laughs> and yeah, this was, this was, this wasn't driven by a good idea. This was driven by, you know, what needed to happen for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. Okay. That's too bad. Yeah. Deadpool, black, white, and blood. Deadpool, black, white, blood. Same build as the other two. Yeah. Four issues. Each issue has three stories. Yeah. So 12 different writers, 12 different artistic teams, all black, white, and red. Yep. We've seen the formula. It works, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. This one is fun because it's Deadpool and he knows he's in a comic. And so he always makes reference to the fact that everything is in black, white, and red. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The first story is Deadpool teaming up with Honey Badger. Oh. Basically cleaning up a story from the last time they met up, which was in All New Wolverine number 31. Okay. Which then was kind of a one-off plot. And so they're just like closing the plot. Sure. Which is fun. Okay. After that is a throwback to when Deadpool was sponsoring the Uncanny Avengers. Because mm-hmm. that was when he had this like red suit that he wore like a three-piece red suit. Interesting. And that's the only way you can actually like know what time what time frame this is. <laughs> but he wants to watch a B. Arthur movie. <laughs> it's it's not on any streaming device. <laughs> and so he wants to go and rent it, but then the blockbuster is closed and uh he finds out that there's basically a Marvel Kim Jong-un who has all of the movies from all of the closed. He has a giant library of like 
five, wow. 20 stories tall fortress of old DVD and Blu-rays. Wow. Okay. And he doesn't let anyone watch them because <laughs> in his country, they're only allowed to watch the country approved stuff. <laughs> uh, it's in North Valnan, um, as opposed to North Korea. So sure. yeah, it was fun. But yeah, so he storms the castle, finds his movie. Turns out it uh, doesn't withstand the test of time. And that's the end of that. <laughs> and then there's another, this one's got to be an alternate universe because he goes and meets up with Omega Red, who has formed his own country. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, I am interested in the geopolitics of, you know, uh, <laughs> Behind a character who has no character traits besides carbonadium dependence, but sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's called the Ultra Special Zone of the Omega Red Sponsor United Soviet Republic. Okay. <laughs> also known as the USZORSUSR. Catchy, <laughs> according to Deadpool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So. They fight basically Ursa Major in a giant tank. Man, Ursa Major just coming up all over the place. Yeah. Well, so is it Ursa Major? I mean, it's a giant talking bear. Yes, it is Ursa Major. Sorry. Okay. So anyway, they keep fighting because they have disagreements on the flag, on what the flag should look like. (laughs) It's funny because in comic form, each of their ideas is a giant red flag because you can't, because everything is in different shades of red. Uh. Um, <laughs> and so Deadpool resolves the conflict of doing a hybrid, but the flag that he shows is also just red. And and they're both like, no, this is terrible. And they're, no, they're both like, oh my God, this is amazing. Okay. <laughs> it's perfect. Let's use that one. <laughs> so, just playing on the self-realization yes. of the limitations of the comic. It's good times. That is good. The next volume is Deadpool ending up teaming up with Daredevil. Well, I guess Daredevil shows up a handful of times as Deadpool deals with Purple Man. But he's not entire, he's not really purple, he's more red. And Deadpool. <laughs> Tells him, he's like, I have to name you because we can't tell what color your skin is. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, Deadpool basically tricks him and does his thing. So, yeah, Daredevil shows up like twice in like two scenes. And then uh, the next one is a random buddy cop team up with uh, Gambit. Okay. Fighting a bunch of vampires. And then after that, is kind of a as much of a fourth wall break as possible. <laughs> it's the writer who is hired to write the Deadpool story, <laughs> not knowing not knowing what to write, and so dare, so Deadpool is talking him through it of being like, "Well, what are some of your favorite scenes?" And so they have a bunch of or like, "Who should you have me team up with?" And he's like, "Well." we could do Wolverine and they do like a Wolverine page. Like, no, nah, that doesn't really work. Well, what if I fought the Hulk? And then, so they do a page about the Hulk and then they do a page about cable. And then they do a page fighting a bunch of hand ninja. 
And the writer's just like, you know, just like nothing really sticks. <laughs> what about me going on a date with Dazzler? He's like, okay, that could be fun. So they do like two pages of that. And then the writer is stressed because there's no conflict and he doesn't know how to resolve the story. And then it just becomes like a, well, what got you into Deadpool in the first place? And then it's like a couple okay. pages of the writer reminiscing about getting his first Deadpool issue. And it was kind of cool. That doesn't sound, I mean, writers writing about writing is <laughs> the, is the like self-indulgent version of like musicians writing songs about tour <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, okay, we, we get it. But I, and I appreciate that that's not really something that you could do within the world of superhero comics except through deadpool exactly or i guess gwenpool sure yes the 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 pool <laughs> brand the pools yeah yeah but yeah it was cool so like there you know there's deadpool just sitting next to the writer on his couch and he's like dude i just want to celebrate you the best way i can like i don't want i don't want to do this you know i don't want to mess up <laughs> uh-huh. And so it, it's just kind of, it, it's cool. It was a cool little thing. Uh, the next issue is Deadpool coming across. <sighs> Deadpool <laughs> buying a penguin from a nunnery of a bunch of skinheads dressed up as nuns. <laughs> this sounds wild the whole thing <laughs> but yeah so he takes out the nunnery after he finds out that it's, so, okay he was gonna buy it from a third-party vendor and then he shows up to the vendor and he's like i didn't get my shipment and he's like well where's the shipment coming from he's like this this address and so he goes and there's this nunnery and there's some guy holding an AK-47 in one hand and the wing holding hands with a penguin in his other hand. And he's dressed up like a nun. And then he's like, something's off here. <laughs> so <laughs> he finds out, he goes and kills everyone and he releases all the penguins. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the next story is a semi-team up with Bullseye. They both got hired to take out a target that has a bunch of trap rooms that makes for multiple single-page splashes, fighting ninjas, fighting zombies, fighting sharks with lasers, <laughs> ultimately fighting a bunch of monkeys throwing poop. And they get to the target, and the target's already been taken out because Domino got hired also, and Domino took the back door in. Okay. Um, and then there's <laughs> uh, and then there's a random backstory on how Deadpool decided to how Deadpool chose his weapon of choice. Started with a flail that didn't work. Started with a, <laughs> tried an axe that didn't work. Tried a hammer that didn't work. Okay. Tried a six shooter didn't work. And then he found swords and he likes it. Nice. And then the last issue is Deadpool going to a an aim installation or base and he's not all red and he and he like addresses he's like hey i know this is a lot of black and white (laughs) but the red is coming i promise then he tells one of the aim guys he's like 
hey, you guys said there would be a lot of killing, so this is my X-Force uniform. That's why I'm in black and white. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, this was my favorite one because he gets hired to fight a Kool-Aid man (laughs) T-Rex. And instead of busting... He says, oh, snap. (laughs) He says, oh, snap, instead of, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's legitimately the Kool-Aid man. And then you get a backstory. Deadpool's confused. It's like, why the hell did you make this? And it's because of this guy, Carl. Carl was recently promoted to director. And directors get encouraged to develop their passion projects. <laughs> and apparently, growing up as a kid, Carl was a loner and he found solace in the devil drink dino okay. and the thirsts that it quenched. And so he wanted to create a giant life-size devil drink dino to quench the thirst of the masses. But Devil Drink Dino took it to a whole new level and said, I'm a child of science, but a creation of love, except for a love of walls. (laughs) They confound (laughs) me so. All I ever wanted was to fulfill the need, nay, the desire of thirst for drink. Yes, for sustenance, (laughs) of course. But in truth, a thirst for violence. I dared oh, to dream goodness. if I could quench this thirst for wanton violence here, I could serve as an inspiration for all of humanity, unleashing a wave of peace over the world. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, he said that after Deadpool put a whole strap of grenades inside his belly and uh, killed him. So, sure. <laughs> that was the end of that. And then there's another one that is done by the same group that did the comic book Deadpool Samurai. Okay. And it's just a random follow-up from that. There's a character called the Disposer, who is a mutant from the secret society that that Deadpool apparently destroyed. uh, And he wants revenge. And so they have a little scuffle. And then he ends up having a team-up with Deadpool Samurai's version of Spider-Man, who is like typical anime ninja girl. Sure. Just okay. like the Spider-Man. Sweet. <laughs> and so they have it out, and then it ends with ad placement from Deadpool saying, go check out Deadpool Samurai. Nice. Volumes one and two are on sale now. <laughs> and then the last story is a revenge tale of dupe on Deadpool. Oh, it, okay. You know I love me some dupe. Yeah, drawn by the guys who did... Mike Allred. Ex- <laughs> Ecstatics? Yeah, or the Allreds. Yeah, Mike and Laura Allred. And so, yeah. So he f- so Deadpool falls asleep watching an Ecstatics movie, because apparently that's a thing. And then Deadpool, or dupe, sends him on this, like, vision dream trip. And he finds out that it's all a revenge plot from Dupe. Deadpool says he can't take a joke. And then Dupe says something in his language. And Deadpool <laughs> says, ha, huh, good one. And then ends it. I love the Dupe language. I know yeah. it's supposed to be translatable. I'd rather not know it. I just like, <laughs> you know, the idea that he's just constantly saying just absolutely fucking hilarious things. And everybody's just <laughs> losing their shit. Right. 
But yeah, so that was, I think, in the middle for me. Okay. I think it's second for the three Black, White, and Bloods. Okay. I, I think I still like Carnage the most. Yeah. And then Deadpool and then Wolverine. Cool. We'll see where Moon Knight goes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Death of Doctor Strange. Yeah, let's go Death of Doctor Strange. Yeah. So the main book is five issues. A lot of shit happens, but it starts with his death. Okay. Um, let's see, Doctor Strange is doing his Doctor Strange things. He goes and teaches a class at the academy. And yeah, at the end of the day, someone shows up at his door and Strange is like, that's odd. Why are you at my doorstep? It's been a long day. And can you, and he says, ah, your last one. And then he kills him. So, well, that's abrupt. Right. So this is actually, I should also say this is broken up. This is five issues, but it's broken up into 13 chapters. Hmm. And so throughout the book, I don't actually know where the issues end. It's just, I'll turn a page and then it's like chapter five, the peregrine child or like whatever. So I should start out because this is basically the premise of how we solve this whole thing. (laughs) Sure. There's a dialogue. There's a, there's a, like a inner monologue from Strange about someone named Koshei, K O S C H E I. Okay. Koshei the Deathless. I've always been fascinated with him. A character out of Slavic legend. Koshei was immortal, so they said. The reason for this was that he removed a small piece of himself, a small piece of his life, his soul. And so long as nothing untoward happened to the soul then he could not die so took that soul okay. his soul and he he hid it in a needle he hid this needle in an egg the egg in a duck and the duck in a rabbit the <laughs> rabbit in a chest and he hid that chest somewhere deep and dark where no one might find it okay got your standard horcrux thing going on here yeah <laughs> and in this way koshe was immortal deathless and went on to pester various protagonists of slavic myth uh, I was a child when I first encountered the myths of Koshay. It stuck with me. The story of how I ceased to be a surgeon, the obsession with money, status, and fame, and the accident is well known at this point. But none of that mattered to me when I began my path in medicine. No, my motivations then, well, some of that came from Koshay. I wanted to cheat death. There was an element of arrogance there. Certainly a human life held in your hands, and I had such hands. Hmm. That's an interesting way of phrasing it. Uh-huh. I spent so much time as a mystic, a sorcerer, and a superhero that it all feels uh, new to me. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's like, you know, I recently gambled and got my hands back. Uh, yeah. So I've returned to surgery, my first love, my first art. When I had just entered into Koshay's pursuit to preserve life with all the artifice and skill I could muster, but my nerves don't matter. My hands know what to do. Uh, like faithful hunting dogs kept inside for too long, now loosed once more to do what they were made for. There's a clean-lined mundane beauty in it, unlike anything in magic. Anyway. So he goes on and talks about how he's the Sorcerer Supreme. The world is my patient. And, you know, that's how he, like, looks at his uh, duties as Sorcerer Supreme. Sure. So the end of the issue. So this, the, you know, the first chapter is him going through a typical day as Dr. Strange. He performs a surgery. He goes and teaches the class. He fends off an evasion at the Strange Academy with uh, magic. Magic the mutant. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You, magic with a K. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, he saved some random guy who was magically possessed um, on the street. He ends up having a fight with some other person. He has a sandwich with bats. He plays chess with a with a monster in Central Park or A Park. He goes grocery shopping. Like it's sure you know your typical day. Whatever you're going, so, you're going back through. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he ends his day and he's attacked by powers that he doesn't. That's way too strong to typically for whoever is killing him to deal with. And yeah, he dies and we don't know why. And then the second chapter is Dr. Strange is dead. (laughs) And there he (laughs) is lying on the floor dead and not a charred skeleton like in the mortal Hulk. Sure. With a dagger in his chest. Sure. Okay. So as soon as he passes, the world feels it. Wong notices he's at an he has an art class. He takes one night off a week, and this has happened to be that night. <laughs> There's a picture of Shaman noticing a change in the balance. Yeah. Thor noticing a difference in the world. That's feeling his passing. Magic noticed. Things start to fail. And so you see a warning in Mr. Fantastic's lab that says there's a dimensional breach imminent. Zelma notices, Dr. Voodoo notices. So everyone rushes to the Sanctum Sanctorum, sees that he's passed. Mordo shows up and he's like, what's all this then? <laughs> Oi. And they're like, of course this was you. And Cassilius is Mordo's like slave. Yeah. So he gets in the way of Wong trying to attack him. And Mordo's like, listen, the only... T- he pulls from... Straight from X-Men 3. It's like, my only <laughs> regrets of Doctor Strange's passing is that it was not at my hands. Sure, of course. <laughs> and so that's a damn shame. And then while this is happening, Strange's Avengers card is getting a call and Captain America is on. He's like, hey, there is a bunch of extra-dimensional invasions going on right now, happening all at the same time. This is magic. We need Doctor Strange. And they're like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have to figure this out. But what happens is an invasion from the purple dimension shows up in the Gobi Desert. Something from the sixth, dim- sixth dimension comes in and creates a fortress in Peru. The sunken city of Kalumesh has resurfaced off the coast of England. Shit's going down. Sure. And then... Out of nowhere, a portal opens and a much younger version of Doctor Strange shows up. Hmm. What had happened was <laughs> it has a, a monologue from Strange again. It's like, Koshe was deathless, a man who severed his soul and hid it so that he might live forever. A stunt that I never achieved, but once when I was much younger, in case I might be killed in the future, I did something close. And hmm. he shunted off a week of his life in this extra dimension, basically. So if he were to die... He'd get a week to do whatever. He could come back at that moment, but a younger version of himself, pre-Sorcerer Supreme, Interesting. to investigate his own death. Huh. So okay. he has that's, that's a cool days. Conceit. Right? Okay. I'm in it kind of worked for me. Yeah. So... It's it's definitely it's hard to find a new one with you know, <laughs> yeah. It's nice to to come across <laughs> something. Yeah, 
I agree. So the story is going to revolve around everyone we've talked about, but then also these four people, these four warlords. You have Agamon, who showed up from the purple dimension, who start, who built a, a castle there. You have Dagoth, who's the one that brought the sunken city of Kalamesh back. And then you have Tiboro, who showed up in Peru. And then you have Umar, who created a castle in Antarctica. Okay. For reference, Umar is Dormammu's sister and Clea's mother. Oh, okay. Did not know that. Yeah. Longtime readers of Marvel know that. I did not until this book. Uh (laughs) Because Clea makes an appearance as well because she notices the the change. Sure. So these four beings from four different dimensions show up and they don't seem to be invading. And so those with cooler heads are thinking they might be hiding and not invading our world. And then we get introduced to the three mothers. We get introduced to them because Clea escapes the dark dimension, wherever Dormammu is. Yeah, dark dimension. Dark dimension, yeah. She's, she barely escapes the dark dimension, and the three mothers show up to uh, chase her. They have names. I don't have them immediately, sure. but it's not a big deal. But they all have very different designs. You basically have an obvious spellcaster type. She's frail, has four arms, and does a lot of magic. You okay. have a giant mass of like maggoty worms. Oh, that's with, gross. With a like statue head. And then you have your like go to giant warlord female, armor clad, has a sword, like you do, and a glowing crown on top. Sure. They are the three mothers. They are going over. They are very powerful. They are all magic based and they basically one shot the Avengers to make way for the Peregrine Child. The Peregrine Child is your typical magic based, all eating being that <laughs> magic, uh, magic realm level Galactus. Yeah. Okay. That's and like to the point where we get introduced to the Peregrine Child, and we're only given a silhouette, and it's very Galactus-like. Okay. Yeah. That it's got the what I assume are are like Cthulhu tentacles, but they kind of look like the sides of uh, Galactus's helmet. Yeah. But the end design of it is like this oh. giant black baby, giant head. Yeah. And that's, I think that's more of a like cloak collar thing. Sure. I don't know. Or giant mustache. Kind of reminds me of our good friend Esteban Diablo. <laughs> Esteban <laughs> yeah, Corazon Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the three mothers leave and they go and take out Tibero. So he's off the, um, uh, table. Mm-hmm. Mordo stole the Cloak of Levitation and the Eye of Agamotto, and so young Steven, Clea, and Wong go and confront him, like, the fuck is your problem, dude? Why would you steal if you didn't do anything wrong? And he's like, dude, I just wanted stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason as any. I can't argue <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that. I want stuff. Yeah. 
And so, you know, so on and so forth. Young Strange is trying to figure this out. He's in a brand new world. Clea is starting to fall in love with him again because mm. this is the version of Strange that, like, the the headstrong, super confident okay. version of Strange that she fell in love with in the first place. Interesting. And so she's like, oh, man, look at you being all amazing. And he's like, I get that, but down my timeline, we're going to have a thing. <laughs> and I don't understand why we no longer have a thing. Uh-huh. F. <laughs> so, he, so he's pissed at, at old man Strange, <laughs> at current Strange, all while trying to figure all this out. They come up with a plan. Okay. They gather the three uh, warlords who are still alive. They bring in Mordo and Cassilius. They being Strange, Ileana, and Clea. And Strange is like, listen, I figured it out. The culprit is in this room. Oh, so okay. So you got you have a you have a locked uh you have a locked room mystery within this whole. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so Strange is like, hey, you all know who I am. Uh, you all know you all what know has me. Been done to I'm me. Still the same old G, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and you all know your own culpability in this crime because it was clear that whoever killed Present Strange made a bargain with the four warlords to borrow their power. So it was basically like a five-on-one situation. Hmm. Okay. And so Agamon's like, oh, really? Have you come to bring us to justice then? Would you cap Agamon in irons? Bring me before a judge and jury. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and Tib- sorry, Tibro was not the one that died. Another one, doesn't matter. Sure. And so, because Tibro's just like, do you believe us cowed by this show of force bringing two sorcerers supreme uh, with you to this conclave? Because Ilyana is a sorcerer supreme of limbo. Oh, Clea. Okay. Yeah. Clea is the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. Strange is not currently the Sorcerer Supreme of anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's got two Sorcerers Supreme as his backup <laughs> right now. Yeah. And Tibro's like, I'm the Lord of the Seething Volcano. I am Spirit of Decay. I am the Sorcerer Supreme of the Sixth Dimen- Dimension. Tibro fears nothing. There's a lot of power in this room right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, and Umar's is like, this is getting boring. Have at it. So, Strange has this, like, two-page monologue going, basically reviewing the last few chapters, talking about the world that he's been brought into and how much has changed since his time. Clear, Clearly, the warlords were brought here and offered preservation from the Peregrine Child. So, whoever made a deal with you guys mm-hmm. also had a thing for me, trying to kill me, but they also wanted to frame Mordo, Hmm. and so they clearly had something out for Mordo. Okay. Who the hell could that person have been? Yeah. And then the answer, oh, geez. Current Strange's hands were removed. That is something strange about his body. Okay. (laughs) Forgot to say. (laughs) That's different? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so... He's got the dagger in his chest and his hands were removed. And so where does all this lead us to? Week-long strange is like, the answer is obvious. Cassilius. Yeah. So Cassilius is just like, you son of a bitch. You are absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) But the game has run its course. I will make my faithless master 
Baron Carl Amadeus Mordo squeal with all the agonies of the purple dimension, and then I will kill you with your own power. Cassilius has stitched Strange's hands to himself, and so he is using Strange's hands. Okay, that's cool. I don't know if Cassilius had hands before this or not. Right. <laughs> like, if he had to cut his hands off that would and be then put those on. hell, yeah. Right? Because I don't know Cassilius' backstory. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, at that moment, the three mothers and the peregrine child show up in Antarctica to deal with them. So, magic bouts are about to go down. People are trying to leave, but Wong and uh, 11 other sorcerers are casting a giant lockdown spell to keep everyone in this room. I just say 11 other sorcerers because I don't know all of them just by their head. Uh-huh. Dr. Voodoo's there. Shaman is there. I think this is Auntie Auntie from the North Co- the South Korean Avengers team that I made fun of for, for being called Auntie Auntie because she's like a drunk gambler sorceress. Right. <laughs> Damon Hellstrom is on here and others. Oh, Doom is one of them as well, but I don't know all of them. Interesting. Anyway. They're all keeping everyone put, and basically, Young Strange. So, Cassilius has a bunch of wards on himself, so you can't use magic, you can't use force on him. How are they going to deal with him? And Young Strange is like, oh, I got this. I'm going to cast a healing spell on you. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm going to cast the spell of regeneration on your hands. And literally, the hands with the regeneration spell take over Cassilius's body and regenerates Doctor Strange. That's cute. Okay. It pulls, yeah, it pulls a uh, Xavier on Phantom X and takes over his body and gives it to Strange. Yeah. And so that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the X-Men and the Avengers are fighting the three mothers outside. Young Strange and Current Strange are getting caught up on um, the situation and talking about how they're going to deal with this. And they're like, okay, I mean, this is a war of wizards. Let's, uh, let's do this. And so five Sorcerer Supremes do this giant fire pentagram. <laughs> <laughs> You have Ileana, Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo, Clea, Sorcerer Supreme of Dark Dimension, Agamon, Sorcerer Supreme of the Purple Dimension, Tibro, Sorcerer Supreme of the Sixth Dimension, and current Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of Earth, casting a giant banishment spell, gets rid of the three mothers, and now they have to kind of deal with the Peregrine Child, and Astral Form Young Strange who is the self-proclaimed master of black magic, goes and fights the Peregrine Child. Peregrine Child eats him. And it's like, awesome. All according to plan. So Astral Form Young Strange uses all of the magic that has been consumed by the Peregrine Child and uses it as a fuse to explode the child from the inside. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. So, like, to make 
random references that happened in 616. He basically pulls a Thor using Galactus and the power cosmic to turn Galactus into a bomb to keep the all black. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, we have current strange saying hello to Clea and current strange is like, yeah. So younger strange said uh, something to me and Clea's like, what? And he's like, he called me a fool forever letting you go. He told me that I must keep you for as long as I can, for as long as you will have me. And he was right. And Clea now having this flame reignited, she's like, you're mine, Stephen. I have no intention of allowing you to make that mistake again. Problem being, Strange has an inner monologue at the same time saying, we are victorious. I've been given back my life, given back my love, everything, but the price was not paid and death will not be cheated, not even by a sorcerer supreme. So my heart breaks to see her shatter again so unfairly, but I have my duty to the world. They get a chance to say a quick goodbye. They have a kiss and Strange spirits away. So Strange did die. He got brought back temporarily, but he cannot cheat death, and so he has returned. To so death. he's so he's going to stay dead for the time being. For the time being. So that was fun. Cool. <laughs> I just five sorcerer supremes. <laughs> so random and so cool. That is tight. <laughs> that was absolutely wild. And then you have. The death of Doctor Strange companion. Yeah, um, I don't see a whole lot of like cracks in this. This was pretty like closely plotted. So, or like I agree, places where things would be expanded upon. So, I'm interested what the companion volume, what stories it. Tells. So, as slightly referenced, this this book drives home the weight of a Sorcerer Supreme. Mm. So. The Sorcerer Supreme, just by existing, keeps the Earth protected from extra-dimensional threats. And so, with Strange dying and not having a new Sorcerer Supreme immediately in place, the barrier is gone, and extra-dimensional threats are jumping onto Earth from, like, all over the planet. Okay. And so, this is a collection of stories of responses to that kind of a situation right so like the first one is an avengers story that has a throwback to the first meeting of the illuminati because strange and iron man meet and iron man at this day and age is anti-magic because it is not explainable with science just yet (laughs) and so like they kind it kind of explores how these two, like, you have the pinnacle of technology and you have the pinnacle of, of magic. How can the two exist in the same world on the same team? And can they accept each other? So mm. that was just like a handful of fun conversations. Cool. As Strange dies in the now, the nexus of all realities is starting to overload and... There are people about, and then this giant juggernaut-looking Sidorak construct hmm. comes out, okay. and we basically have we're following that situation. You have a bunch, you have yeah. these like hollow crimson bands of Sidorak constructs that look like juggernaut, 
running around and they're trying to make a giant citadel of Sidorak. Come to find out that those beings were created by this little girl from the Sidorak, from the Crimson Cosmos, which is the dimension where Sidorak is from. And the Crimson Cosmos has been ravaged by the three mothers and the Peregrine Child already. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing. Interested to see how that affects Juggernaut going forward. Yeah, no kidding. But the child is a refugee, and the citadel she's trying to create is an effigy to her people. Tony Stark learns that, so he stops Captain Marvel and Thor from getting involved. And after it finishes, she's able to psychically project the story of her people to the world. And so their memory will not be forgotten. Sure, sure. But yeah, so the sole survivor of this co- Crimson Cosmos, she's now on 616. The Crimson, Crimson Cosmos has been for more or less killed or destroyed. Curious to see how that'll affect Juggernaut. But that was the Avengers crossover. Strange Academy focuses on Enchantress's children. Yeah, Doctor Strange has a lot, you know, like not just the Sorcerer Supreme, superhero, normal. I mean, he's always kind of defined by responsibilities, right? Yeah. The heavy weight that he holds. And now he's also, you know, headmaster of a school. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to go off and kill the char- that character off right now. It's uh, I know. It's an interesting It's very choice. strange. Yeah. For lack of a better phrase. <laughs> Anywho, in the past, Enchantress made a deal with an evil wizard because, you know, like you do. And she promised him her firstborn. She was fine making this deal because she had zero plans of ever having children. So why not? Right. And then she ended up having her two kids who are currently at the Strange Academy, Eric and someone else. Sure. I forget yeah. his name. Doesn't matter. Doesn't uh, <laughs> and so as soon as they were born, Evil Wizard came to collect. She brought in Strange, was like, Can you help me with this? And so he locked the evil the evil wizard away. And so as long as Strange was alive, he would be locked up. Strange has died. He's out. He goes and collects Eric. <laughs> of course. Okay. So that's not cool. And so uh, team up with the other child and Enchantress. They go to Weird World where this evil wizard is keeping the child. Okay. Keeping Eric. He has used the magical power that he stole from Eric to power himself up and take over the the crystal like citadel that he now sits on the throne of that that crimson citadel is where toth who is the uh, child of the queen the the crystal queen and a like man thing guy yeah from weird world weird world and so in dealing with this guy they're also you know letting you know, opening up the, the throne again. They get to it. They release Eric, and the, he's just like, "Well, hey, there's this other child I could just take." And then they're like, "Nah, that's not happening." He ends up getting killed by this woman named Galita, who is a wizard Gal- slayer. Named Galita. Yes. Like 
the town next to Santa Barbara, the town where we both went to high school? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Is it spelled the same? Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> no. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. She says, "I am Galita the Wizard Slayer." Uh, she's big. She's big, like Viking size lady. Okay, blonde lady. Interesting. I am Galita the Wizard Slayer. So they tell her about this evil wizard, and he's and she slays them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Strange Academy tie-in. Oh, and then there's like, okay, after Strange passes, Strange Academy closes down to to figure out what to do next, and so they organize return trips for all of their students. And mm-hmm. so each student that we met at Strange Academy gets one page of what life is like back at home. Just kind of cool. Nothing major to write home about just the fact that it happened. <laughs> the next one is, I mean, is Spider-Man. And thank goodness I waited to read this, but Peter Parker is still, is currently in his coma as we saw in Spider-Man Beyond. And so we have a team up between Felicia and Ben Riley. Yeah. What happens is Strange has a dead note that transmits to Peter Parker as an astral projection that is a message of like, hey, if you're seeing this message, it's because I've died. I have a laundry list of things I would like your help with on the event of my passing. Peter Park or Spider-Man, like, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better than you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you help? So Felicia is sitting at Pete's bed, just keeping an eye on him. Ben Riley just happens to show up to check on him as well. They both see this message and they're like, so should we do this? And Felicia's like, you're not Spider-Man. Uh, or like, hashtag not my Spider-Man. And Ben's like, well, you're not Spider-Man either. Why are you coming? And they're like, I have to go. <laughs> so anyway, two of them get the laundry list and they go and take care of it. It's the first one is, di- number one, ensure that Gator Shaman has not discarded the treaties in my absence. And he's basically, do you remember the Rat King from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> No. He's who I think of. Okay. <laughs> it's not, that's fine. He's a guy that, okay, he's, he's Mole Man, but with magic and giant albino alligators. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and so they have like a kerfuffle and they're like, okay. And, and Gator Shaman's like, now the strange is gone. I can finally bring my boys out to the light. And, and strange and strange has always been in my way, yada yada yada. Yeah. And they're like, okay, he needs to understand why this has been happening. And so there's a note that Ben has to tell him. It says, the Gator Shaman is quite delusional, not merely in matters of hygiene. You, you know what? I'm just going to skip ahead. Blah 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 blah. There, <laughs> the albino the albino sewer gators of New York are one of the city's hidden wonders. While the Gator Shaman believes our battles to be for dominance over the city, in reality, I clash with him merely out of concern for the majestic creatures. If he were to succeed in bringing the Gators to the surface, I worry for their safety. And if their presence were widely known of, I dread what sort of dangers might descend upon them. If their existence came to the attention of um, any member of the Kravinoff family, then their extinction would be assured, and the uh, world would be poorer for having one less mystery in it. Hmm. And so Gator Shaman's like, holy crap, okay, 
we're going back to the underworld. <laughs> so <laughs> deal with that. Scratch that off the list. Number two, stop the hungry Prince of Hearts. He will know I am gone and will resume his hunt. They go to try to deal with it, and Moon Knight's already killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is this is number four is the one I sent you on the chat. Ensure the spirit of Mammon remains bound in bronze, and it's the giant bull from Wall Street. Right. Number eight, address the Jiangxi attacks in Chinatown, bunch of undead Chinamen. I'm sorry, that sounded really racist, but <laughs> I don't think I it said, is the preferred nomenclature anymore. I said Chinamen yeah. just because when I look at them, they're in like the really stereotypical. So the depiction like, is racist. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Like 80s Chinese guys with the like square hat and the long sleeves that they hold closed and zombies. Or vampires. I don't fully know. Sure. But deal with them. That's number eight. Number 11, exercise the 666 train. So, you know, demon train. Yeah. <laughs> number 13, feed the Central Park dragon. She likes hot dogs. <laughs> 17, there will be mummies. 20, a piece of spirits of the forgotten dead between James J. Walker Park. Uh, beneath James J. Walker Park. They basically, they literally, it's just a picture of black cat pouring one out for the homies sure and then the last one throughout the issue you have this like janitor lady who just has bad luck after bad luck things of hers breaks or she's slipped and like her back is like hurting just clearly having a bad night yeah and then you have a break in the action and you have ben and felicia talking about that dr strange is the village doctor and there's like a parable about the village doctor aunt may i guess told it to that to pete when they were a child but basically village doctor is the guy that goes around taking care of everyone every single day he checks on every single person and they all are healthy the entire time staves off all in, all injuries all illnesses but no one takes care of him like he's got a hole in his roof. So when it rains, his stuff gets all messed up. No one okay. pays, no one thinks to check on the village doctor is the point. And so sure. those doctor, because of his poor living conditions and lack of food ends up passing away, people start to get sick and they're like, what the hell? Why is this happening? Oh, the village doctor is gone. And so like, it's just like the, the way fables are mm-hmm. teaches a lesson. Dr. Strange is Village Doctor because they are taken aback by how many regular occurrences of things Dr. <laughs> Strange does in a regular day. Yeah, yeah. Number 21, I'm almost certain these those damned goblins, goblins will be back. And it's a bunch of goblins stealing cars. <laughs> and then the last one, 22, bring Jimena Garcia a pretzel at the end of her shift and make sure she gets on her bus safely. Oh. Yeah, and so it shows this girl, Jimena, who was the girl who had all this bad luck. Ben and Felicia show up in their civvies, and they're like, Jimena, we're friends of Steven's. He told us that he sometimes runs into you around this time, and that most nights after shift, you sure could use a pretzel. So they give her a nice warm pretzel. Pretzel. It's like, oh, that's so kind. Is Steven all right? Yeah, he's fine. Just had business that took him out of town. And she just goes on about how amazing he is. Uh, he always seems to be walking by just when I've had a bad night. And he always has time to sit down and chat even at this hour. He's a night owl, I suppose. And by the time my bus comes, I feel that much better. He always knows what to say and always has a pretzel to share. It's kind of a magic. 
oh, here's my bus. You know, please tell Steven that I missed him and tell him hello. I'm like, okay. Oh, she's like, you know what? All the times I've met him, I've never, he's never told me what he does. And I'm like, oh, he's a village doctor. So. No. Okay. Yeah. So fun little heartfelt story. Very Spider-Man. Love it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then it ends with Felicia accepting Ben as Spider-Man for now. <laughs> okay. White Fox dealt with an undead Kumiho. Or so White Fox is the last Kumiho, which is the demon fox spirit. There are reports of another Kumiho showing up. And so she gets involved. The other agents of Atlas are across the world dealing with other dimensional magic interventions. Lin Lee, Swordmaster, and White Fox go and look for this rumored Kumiho. Turns out it's an undead demon Kumiho. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a real one, and it looks super gruesome. Its tails are giant snakes. Its face is rotted out and has maggots all over. It's it's wild. Anyway, the main takeaways there are White Fox is now able to fully transform into a demon fox. She's only ever been able to do like her hands or her feet, never do a full transformation. Okay, and then. Lin Lee, the sword gets shattered by the undead Kumiho, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. He gets thrown off a cliff into the water, and that's what causes White Fox to be able to transform. She kept a piece of the sword to inspire her to never stop fighting, but the agents of Atlas are now Sans Swords Master, and we don't know where he is. Okay. Very random. (laughs) Yeah. Next one is Blade. And I guess in the past, Blade and Doctor Strange crossed paths and vanquished all of the vampires on Earth. I don't know how that works with (laughs) the current country of vampires (laughs) in Chernobyl. But suffice to say, they have a history and the vampires hate Doctor Strange. Okay. That's kind of the main thing. So okay. they are throwing a party to celebrate the death of Doctor Strange. Blade is on edge. Conversations between Blade and Dracula go down. A being from another dimension shows up in Chernobyl, and they're trying to deal with that. Turns out that other being is a psychic vampire, uh, and so they have to deal oh, with Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Just, just your standard psychic vampire. Mm-hmm. So they deal with the psychic vampire and Dracula is able to weed out one of his um, generals who was just not falling in line. And so like, it's almost like Dracula was playing all the pawns in order to deal with his own general in a way that's clearly justified, justified. So it does. So he's able to show a display of power instead of just off somebody randomly. Yeah. But that's kind of how that works how that went okay the big one okay Okay. the last one is a elsa bloodstone but this one is x-men black knight so really Mm. random pair up but yeah do you remember the black knight volume that i thought was really weird but somehow got me really interested in black knight so you have dane whitman and his daughter yes jacks uh or jack or jacks doesn't matter they now share the black knight title one will hold the ebony sword and be out in the world as Black Knight, while 
the other will sit on the Ebon Siege, which is the the other three, or at least other two ebony weapons for broken down and forged into the chair. And that chair allows the view the the person sitting in it to like have visions about the world and see what's going on. And so yeah. One person says sits in the Ebon Siege to keep an eye on the world while the other is the Black Knight out in the world and reacting to those things, to those sure. visions. Sure. Whitman sitting on the Ebon Siege sees the death of Doctor Strange. Damn, that sucks. You're gonna have to deal with that. And then because it's Black Knight, we start getting more lore shit <laughs> about Merlin and the magics that he did. And he's and for whatever reason. The siege is showing Dane visions of when Arthur first removed Excalibur from the stone. Okay. As soon as Arthur did that, or soon, yeah, as soon as Arthur removed the sword, there was this giant invasion from other dimensions. And that was like how Arthur like established himself as king. While we're getting that backstory. There is a giant invasion happening in the UK and the X-Men were there and they've all been magically possessed and transformed into like nightmare demon versions of themselves. Okay. And Jack's Black Knight is trying to get involved and help. Comes across Faiza Hussein, who has the Excalibur uh, sword. And that's her... She's called Excalibur, right? Or is she? Thinks so. Okay. Yeah. That's her superhero name. Yeah. She has Excalibur also inside her body is the sheath of Excalibur. Okay. And the sheath of Excalibur is said to have healing properties. And so she is a healer Yeah. by her touch, but she also has the sword. Anyway, so you have the possessed mutants are called the Hungry Court, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't really matter. They all got given names and like legends behind them, even though this is probably going to be the only time you're going to come across them. So it's not <laughs> worth going into, but you've got Faiza and Jax fighting back of uh, the mutant, the magic possessed mutants in different skirmishes here and there. And then Polaris gets involved and tries to steal the two swords as they're both holding onto the swords to try to fight it. The swords clash, hit each other. Okay. And then in doing so, does this giant blast for some reason. Don't know why. Okay. But it knocks out Demon Polaris, gives them a chance to run. It's like, what the hell is going on with that? Why is that happening? So now you get back to Dane, who saw that happen. He's like, what the hell? And then Evan Siege is like, oh, perfect time to give you another flashback. So here's some more lore for you. Oh, my gosh. So... You get a flashback to Merlin and he's holding Excalibur and he says, oh, my liege, what a fool I've been. I thought the blade, the, the true power. I thought Excalibur a treasure to herald an epic of valor and justice and, and this boulder merely its prison. I was wrong. The story not lay in the sword, but in the stone. The demon worlds of woe and wickedness, they surround us like warships upon a sunless sea. The black stone, oh, this cosmic ve- evil, 
It is the tide that carries them to shore, a, a siren song of horror. So long as bright Excalibur pierced it, neutralizing its pole, the tide drew away. The dark domains were repulsed, but when drawn, and then that's when he realized that by removing Excalibur from that stone, that's what brought the darkness dimensions to Earth. So... <laughs> So Merlin, who is, I guess, the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth at this time, he says, My magnum opus, a barrier around our world, a great working to thicken the brains of weird and warp, a legacy for the magi of this world, a duty passed from one Sorcerer Supreme to the next to hold the, these demon spheres at bay. A sword arm may weary, a stone may shatter, but human unity, cooperation, and concord, that is the chain that cannot be broken, providing only that none is left to stand alone. So that's where this barrier around the world came from, is Merlin, and was given as a duty to all Sorcerer Supremes as it goes down. As long as there's a Sorcerer Supreme, the barrier will stay. On top of that, The stone in which Excalibur was stuck is the stone that Merlin used to make the four ebony weapons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Checks out. (laughs) Yeah. So the Ebon Siege and the Ebony Blade have very specific properties that could interact with Excalibur should the need arise, I guess. Anyway, they figure that out and they use the two swords abilities to dispel the X-Men one by one end up saving the day. And then they fight the big bad at the end. They banish it by taking Excalibur and shoving it into Jax's chest, impaling Jax with the Excalibur. Wow. Yeah. But in doing so, they banish all of the bad guys, so cool. But now Jax is legitimately just walking around with Excalibur in her chest, like poking <laughs> out of her chest. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing is that the X Men noticed that Jax is a mutant. Huh. Yeah. So that's something they're going to explore at some point down the line as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Just so much, so much lore dumping. It's so wild. Yeah. The last, the last issue is Elsa Bloodstone doing Elsa Bloodstone things, magical invasions, monsters. She's finding them. Uh, oh, her brother is involved. Her brother has a Bloodstone, and this like monster trapped inside him is very like think of like magic monster version of Hulk, <laughs> but not. Immortal Hulk, because that has expanded. And basically, they're able to banish the monster that was inside Elsa's brother. So he's monsterless now. Interesting. And there isn't really a reason why they need to tell it as part of the uh, current thing. But But they might not have also gotten... Yeah, but they might not have gotten the opportunity to tell it otherwise. So exactly, it, that's the other thing about you know sometimes these events like it opens the door for like related you know characters to get a little more shine than they ever would have otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, just 
you know, this is the influence that the Sorcerer Supreme has on the world. <laughs> and that's cool. what the companion, I guess, was for. Nice. <sighs> that that does sound fun. That sounds like uh it sounds like a really good week of reading, honestly. Oh yeah, it was absolutely fun. I had a great time. Cool. I was really happy with Death of Doctor Strange. I don't know how he's gonna come back. Cause he tried to come back by the end of this book, and then he was like, nah, death, death is a thing. And yeah. so he left. <laughs> Yeah, And I don't know if Mephisto's going to hold him because they've mm. had a few run-ins in the past, especially with Damnation. Sure, of course. And Mephisto's going to get his comeuppance on that or, or what. But we'll see. Nice. Okay. Okay. All right. Should we uh, switch gears here? Oh, yeah. Talk about Magneto War? Magneto War. I keep on wanting to say the Magneto trial, but that's something <laughs> very different. <laughs> yes. A different decade, two different decades. I'm going to talk so much about the 1980s trial. Once we read the trial of Magneto on Krakoa, that's a good jumping off point actually, because I wanted to talk about Magneto, you know, just more broadly, like okay, what and why. So Magneto, right. This is his first, like, sort of arc or appearance since he got mind-wiped by Xavier. He's been kind of lurking around in the background a little bit, you know, recently. He was he conducted the trial, uh, the Gambit's trial, and he's kind of been doing weird shit <laughs> in the background, re- you know, in recent X-Men comics. But he, you know, this is the first arc with him, the villain, since... 1993 fatal attractions when he took away Wolverine's adamantium and then got mind wiped by Xavier. And that's been a full five years. So that's, uh, you know, it's a good amount of time without one of your main characters. And before that had gathered the acolytes and announced his return, found out that Moira had been messing with his head and making him, ever since he'd been returned from infancy <laughs> back in the huh? early eighties <laughs> made him less aggressive, which made finding that out, made him more aggressive, blah, 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 blah. And that was sort of like the hard right turn away from him being really throughout the eighties rehabilitated as a hero to the point where he, the X-Men defended him uh, at his trial for destroying a submarine in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. And he became headmaster of the school after uh, Xavier got infected with the brood and had to go off with the star jammers and the laundry to recover, blah, blah, blah. So he had this whole arc through the 80s. And then Marvel was like, ah, but we want him to be a villain. He was like, kind of like, he had joined the X-Men more or less, but they're like, mm, this isn't working. You need to bring him back to his roots so they found a storyline, and then they're like, oh, he's so powerful, we can't have him just be around, right? Like, every time he shows <laughs> up, it's like, okay, I'm going to, like, pretty much either destroy or threaten to destroy the world unless I get, you know, X, Y, and Z demands for mutant rights. Like, I can right. just reach out and screw with the Earth's, mag- you know, electromagnetic uh, field, and there's not a whole lot anybody can do about it. Yeah, he's a villain you have to completely incapacitate. 
you can't just foil the plan. Right, exactly. It's within him to just, you know, do whatever. And so he pops up in this and, you know, he's kind of been weirdly working in the background. You're not sure why. And then finally they're ready to do the story arc. (laughs) And so he's got this, uh, he goes to the magnetic North Pole, builds this little citadel with these robots. I kind of touched on some of this stuff last episode in the prelude issues that I read. And the Acolytes have reformed, and they are just sort of like, they attack the X-Men at the X-Mansion, and then they're doing all of these random sort of attacks on, like, genetic research compounds, stuff like that, heading relatively northward. And the X-Men kind of do nothing about the first four of them, and then they're kind of upset that they didn't do anything, and that's where this whole story arc kicks off. And so they go... They intervene in the next one. They're like, oh my God, it's a trap. And they go to chase the Acolytes on their plane and they crash in the Arctic and, you know, have a fight with the Acolytes again. Magneto, you know, does his, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, like, destroy the magnetosphere, like, Earth magnetic field. Just going to do that. But, you know, he sends this demand to the UN, like, accede to whatever demands for mutant mutant rights I have, or I'm going to, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he's, like, doing basically an electromagnetic pulse around the entire world. So, like, absolutely nothing works. No electronic communications or any electronic technology at all. Like, toasters don't work anymore. <laughs> Meanwhile, (laughs) there's like a a diplomat who is in about five total panels of the entire thing. And she's like, all right. Uh, She's the the Genosian diplomat to her ambassador to the UN. And she speaks in this outrageous Cockney accent, which I don't understand. So the other part, the the other main part of this storyline is Joseph, who we learn is a clone of Magneto. Joseph popped up between Age of Apocalypse and Onslaught, so that's about four in continuity years ago. Three or four. Maybe more like three. And he's kind of done a fat load of nothing. He joined the X-Men for a while. Everyone thought that he was an amnesiac, de-aged, like that he was Magneto, Magneto, amnesiac, de-aged to his early 20s, that's totally fine. That's I mean, look, he's been he's been a fucking baby. He, yes. he was a baby and he was de-aged to be a baby in the 80s. Why can't he be de-aged to his 20s now? Like, all right. <laughs> and and he's, you know, so there there was they were trying to do the whole like is he going to be a good guy or a bad guy? Is Magneto finally going to join the X-Men? Is this the way it's, you know, blah 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 blah. And so they they write their way out of it. They're like, "Nah, it's a clone. He was very unceremoniously unceremoniously written out of X-Men, you know, maybe 10, 12 issues back, something like that. They just like sincerely did not give a fuck. And they're like, go with Sabra out to Israel. She's going to run some tests on you and you're just not going to be in the book anymore. And we don't care about the storyline. It's done. Noteworthy. They also did that with like half of the X-Men roster, right? Like, they mm-hmm. they shunted off Cecilia Reyes and Maggot and Cannon and Ball, obviously. But 
like the original five X-Men. They had that storyline up in Alaska where Scott was like freaking out about Jean's powers and they did, you know, some random get together. It was like, oh, it's so nice to like finally hang out together again. And they just haven't been seen since. They're just like, you know, so all of this stuff with the X-Men is going on, like rescuing Charles Xavier or confronting Magneto, like some real like big deal stuff where maybe you want to call in some people who some know veterans. how to do this and get <laughs> literally been but, through this and and constantly like oh man like the x like our oh, our ranks are down right now and it's like they're not doing shit but anyway uh oh they also got rid of bishop and psylocke it's just there's just too many mutants right now and like you know with the cancellation of excalibur and x-factor you know, they just don't have places. <laughs> Two to other rosters. Just yeah, out. yeah. So they, because they brought back Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Kitty from Excalibur, all of X Factor. I mean, nobody cared about them, but like, you know, Rain's hanging around doing nothing, Doug Glock, Captain Britain, Megan, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. So this is kind of supposed to be the big event of 1998 but it doesn't cross over at all it's just uncanny and x-men which are being written as the same title and there's there's just no impact so there's the joseph and sabra plot which doesn't involve sabra at all like they're just kind of standing around doing nothing in israel as apparently like an illustration of what they must have been doing for the last 10 issues off panel just kind of standing there and some scientist is like, ah, you are a perfect copy. Uh, you know, t- every cell of you, every strand of DNA is Magneto, but it's a forgery. Oh, okay. Then this mysterious woman shows up named Astra. And she, it, like, abducts him and, ju- and then just, like, straps him to a machine and just monologues at him for about two and a half issues. But she <laughs> tells the whole story of, like, okay... Astra apparently was one of the original recruits of Magneto in Magneto's Brotherhood, but left before, you know, X-Men number one back in the 60s, before the Cape Citadel mission. So she never appeared in comics, and she wants revenge against Magneto for being mistreated, etc., etc. She has, like, Lila Cheney-level teleportation powers, so she can teleport all the way across the universe, and she's been doing so to gather just all of this extraterrestrial technology that she uses for battle or for cloning or for whatever the hell she wants. Okay. And so when Avalon was destroyed and vegetable magneto was put into an escape pod by colossus a couple years back astra intercepted the escape pod you know restored magneto's health and powers i don't know why you know and brain and healed him up and gave him all his memories etc but also made joseph as a clone but with a few changes. One, he's basically, he's like literally Nate Gray all over again. There's no safeguards on his powers, and so he'll burn himself out. And he's younger, and so has access to more raw power. And she makes some other, she, she didn't, didn't want to give him much in the way of, no memories and not much in the way of intelligence. She calls him, she's like, she says, you were supposed to be a potato with abs. 
Uh, <laughs> another wow. time she says, I knew I should have spliced more intelligence into you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joseph has been a, a pretty unremarkable character the entire time he's been with the X-Men. So fair, yeah. you know, this, this, <laughs> this tracks, this is deserved, but Astra is so weird as a character because there's already a mutant who has joined Magneto's cause, who was introduced after the fact, but had known, you know, Magneto before the uh, comics continuity, before the 60s, you know, issue number one started and has teleportation powers. There is already that character already exists, and it's Amelia Vote. Mm. And for whatever reason, they didn't decide to use Amelia Vote here. They I assume because they didn't want Amelia to be an intergalactic collector. Yeah, or they didn't want her to be like an unambiguous villain because Astra is completely unhinged. All of her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All of her reasons and all of her everything, you know, she's just like pure mustache twirling villain cackle. Like, Mm. you know, her plans are like, yeah, I'm going to have my revenge against Magneto and then something, something rule the world. She didn't think that far (laughs) ahead. It's very clear. Got it. Yeah. And so apparently, so she restored Magneto. She made Joseph. And then she basically sicked Joseph on Magneto. It was like, like, I'm going to let your clone destroy you and just watch and laugh. And it didn't work. Magneto got away. Joseph ended up amnesiac in Central America, hence his slow wandering to find the X-Men. And that kind of catches us up to present day. Okay. The Russian ambassador to the UN. So Magneto has like his little robot thing. Go to the UN and, you know, read his demands. And the Russian ambassador is like, nope, we know what to do here. And, you know, calls, you know, whatever chain of command. And they literally nuke the fucking North Pole. Oh. (laughs) No adverse climate effects. No, you know. Yeah. So that's good to know. (laughs) okay but the strain of it apparently and and the x-men are like up in the arctic circle chasing down the acolytes and the acolytes are fine and and they their plane crashes and they're like dig a hole to they're like 75 miles away from the blast and they dig a hole to get away be okay or something and then they fight the acolytes and actually mostly lose but eventually win, blah, blah, blah. And then Astra and Joseph appear, and they have their confrontation with Magneto. The nuke kind of throws everything out of whack. Apparently, something, something being hit with that while being like in touch or in control with the Earth's magnetosphere kind of throws it all out of alignment, and Joseph or, and Magneto, like, realizes he needs to like 
devote a certain amount of his powers to like putting it to right but he can't do that while he's under attack from astra so he's like i guess the earth's fucked i have to defend myself from you astra then astra just sort of like seems to just disappear for most of the rest of the storyline to be honest and then the big conclusion is joseph drops the fight and is like, no, I have to protect the Earth's magnetosphere. All this like raw power is leaking out of Magneto. I can rechannel it and repair, you know, things. And Xavier is his psychic anchor. Colossus has been mostly in his human form for most of this thing because while he's metal, he acts as a lightning rod and just like absorbs all of this electromagnetic energy and then like explodes at random times. And so that's how they end up beating the acolytes is he just like runs in the middle of them and then armors up and fries all of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he turns back into a lightning rod and channels all of this ambient electromagnetic energy. And then storm uses her weather powers to channel it into Joseph. Joseph puts all of himself into repairing the electromagnetic field with Xavier as his psychic anchor to make it so he doesn't lose himself in, in this sort of like cosmic awareness of the entire world's magnetosphere. But he does anyway. He, his body burns himself out. He rapidly ages and gets all old and wrinkly. And he's like, uh, this is pretty cool. You know, it was good to know you, Charles. I believe in your dream. Peace. And discorporates into the electromagnetic field, saves the world, etc. And then they're about to have their big fight, you know, like final fight with uh, Magneto. <laughs> Wolverine is literally like moving to just like, Oh, oh, and then uh, sorry, they're they're about to uh, to have their big fight with Magneto, and the UN flies in, including that ambassador, and she's like, uh, "No, we figured it out. We're giving him Genosha. He he, you know, whatever you do there, we don't care. You are the sovereign of Genosha. Your choice, your responsibility." As long as you, you know, if basically if you're a head of state, we can deal with you militarily and we can deal with you within our framework of the way that the world works. So, you know, don't invite, invade anybody else, abide by restriction, you know, and you get your own nation for your own mutant ethno state. Basically, you get proto Krakoa and Wolverine's like, nope, I'm not into this. And he's like straining to go and stab Magneto just just off him right then and there and Charles just puts him to sleep and he just falls over in the snow <laughs> and that's it that's 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 the end <laughs> so Magneto wars Magneto Joseph basically slash magnet war I guess Magnetosphere war it's a hmm yeah it's it's a great question I don't know, <laughs> but it's, it's just like, what are you doing with Mag and what are you doing with Magneto? What, 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 what was this, what was this whole Joseph arc about? And this is part of like the problem with comics is, you know, especially like so many creators love to have, you know, want to have these long sprawling 
storylines with like plot threads that don't resolve themselves until years later to keep you hooked on the soap opera. But then the creative team changes and they're like, mm. oh, we don't we don't want anything to do with Joseph. This guy sucks. Let's write him out. And then the next creative team comes in. It's like, hold on. You need a resolution <laughs> here, buddy. You can't just have a clone of Magneto walking around or somebody who may or may not be Magneto walking around like this is this is outrageous. Like this can't just let's close this book. Let's close this book. And yeah. we don't care if we do it poorly. Just get it out of here. The fact that it's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there we go. The last quote from uh from Joseph though was was worthwhile. He says, uh Charles Charles, I hope the relationship we forged during our brief time together has shown you the way of the future. You were each but half of a whole. Only by working together will mutants and humans ever be one. By that, he means mm. Xavier and Magneto. So mm. we get more mm. unintentional wow. foreshadowing. <laughs> 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And like, Fire. realistically, you could consider like, you know, any of the last 10, 15 years when Magneto's been mostly. Working with the yeah. X-Men. But, you know, it's fine. So that's Magneto War. It happened. The, the biggest problem that I have with uncanny and adjectiveless X-Men right now is that the heroes just don't really have any reason for being there. It's like I named all of these characters who've been written out of the book. And there's absolutely no reason for the characters who are in the book to be there instead of anybody else. Like none of them have any sort of like character arcs going on. None of them have any like things that they're working through except for Gambit, but he has his, you know, his own series and then Marrow, but she's the newcomer. Everybody else just kind of like, they're just action figures. They're just there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they use their powers sometimes and <laughs> they might say a catchphrase here or there. And that's about it. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. Right. So, like, you could tell the Magneto War storyline with any 15 mutants, as long as one of them was metallic to act as <laughs> right, but, a lightning but rod. <laughs> even still, like, you, that was only, the, you know, you wrote that in because Colossus was there. And I guess it's a clever use of his powers. But even still, like, you could have... <clears throat> You could have written yourself a way to to win, you know, to to win that fight, no matter who was there. Right. But like, there's a little bit about like Magneto and and uh, or sorry, Rogue and Magneto and the history that they've had, or Wolverine and Magneto and the history that they've had. But it's more like, hey, remember this, and not like this is feeding into some larger character focused arc that they're going mm -hmm. through in the title that they like come to any sort of like climax or realization or transformation or anything like that. It's just like pointing and saying, Hey, remember this instead of like actually treating your characters like people and letting them grow and change or even giving okay. them the impetus to, I guess the, my only like devil's advocate position I can think of for that is like in the grand scheme of the world at the time, this conflict between Magnus and Joseph was going to happen at this moment, regardless of what the roster of the X-Men is. And the 
conclusion of that fight was going to happen no matter who is able to get to the North Pole. That's true. Like, it just cosmically it just, big picture, points, yeah, you know, it, stuck point in time. Kind I of mean, thing. yes, from 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 a from the mechanics of the plot perspective, absolutely. But yeah. it it makes your main characters in your comic feel completely like yeah unnecessary unnecessary. <laughs> Right, and I I fully agree because they, like, they spend the in- should the, yeah they spend this entire this. <laughs> almost this entire five issue arc just kind of like laying in some snow in in the Arctic you know in in the Arctic circle angels. yeah they're just like oh man <sighs> the acolytes really fucked us there you know <laughs> we gotta right. get to Magneto somehow that's really hard. And then eventually, you know, and that happens in the first issue, and by the last issue, they event they finally do. Right. I mean, yeah, climactic, big name, multi-title events should have some sort of exploration of character or power. <laughs> yeah. Or at least like, or at least like, inspire a character to try something new, other than be a lightning rod, I guess. It just, <laughs> yeah, everything here, it was just kind of like, well, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then it was over. And there was just no, yeah. not, not a whole lot of reason for anything. I hear you. That's too bad, because there Because Magneto guess, is the fucking, you know, one of the best characters in, in <laughs> X-Men, and you only get to use him every few years, right? Like, they've used, yeah. I, I guess this is, this... The interesting thing is what comes next. This is maybe more of a setup arc about like, okay, what is the, you know, Magneto's Genosha going to look like? And we'll see that he's getting a mini series coming right off the heels of this called Magneto Rex. So we'll get to see some of that. And then obviously that all leads up to Grant Morrison's run, the E for Extinction, the Wild Sentinels, and the genocide there. So... You know, it's more of the creation of of a status quo, which honestly, if that's what this turns into and we finally actually start getting like a stable status quo to create stories off of in X-Men, that I would be happy for that because we haven't had one for a while, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've got a stable team. It doesn't seem like we're going to have any more random entrances and exits and huge purges and Xavier is back. They live at the mansion again, et cetera, et cetera. Like, eh, I don't know, whatever. We'll see. Yeah. I guess, I guess to your point, the only reason to tell this story is to close the chapter on Joseph and to get Magneto to Genosha. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, you know, Exactly. That's it. You're you're doing you're doing plot mechanics. You're not really telling a story here, right? Because the way because they've already done Avalon, they've already done Asteroid M, where <laughs> Magneto has a country that he decided exists, but because In the space. world is the way it is, yeah, <laughs> that's not sustainable. And so, how do you give Magneto a nation of mutants that? is sustainable or at least recognized by the world government. Totally. Yep. So 
so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. <laughs> and and then the last thing is Astra. You know, she just kind of gets away in the middle of it. She gets ignored halfway through the fight, and then she's like, "Well, this sucks. Like, you ruined a." It's just says you ruined years. Okay, months, weeks of hard work. Wow. <laughs> you corrupted my pet, and worst of all, you spoiled my fun. And she teleports away. And okay, so is she still alive? She like in our time in Krakoa time. Yes. Like she hasn't on screen died, I guess. She has not on screen died. She kept her powers after House of M, after decimation. Uh, she's had a couple appearances, you know, more uh, since then, but not many. Mm. It seemed like she, I guess, uh, just reading the wiki here, it was assumed for a while that she was killed during the 12 event, but she survived. Uh, she kept her powers after <laughs> but she survived. Yeah. She restored Joseph bo- Joseph's body. Together they formed a new brotherhood. Uh, this was during the Utopia era. Mm. And then they fought with Magneto and lost. She was caught and locked up on the X-Brig on Utopia. And then she has been shown on Krakoa in in House of X number five. I doubt she'll have any screen time. She's just a really dumb character. (laughs) Yeah. And we have plenty of teleporters. Oh, she's not, she's not on Bran's list, right? No, she's not. Maybe. Mm. I don't remember. Not even good enough for brand. Nope. <laughs> well, that was Magneto War. That was Magneto War. And yeah, that's that's really that's all I read this week with all my travel and everything. It's funny you yeah, you yeah. know you read a lot when you travel because you bring your books with you and all mine is uh electronic, so I don't read it all when I travel. <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, so for our next episode, yes, I've got that book of Immortal Hulk. Mm-hmm. I have a Kang story that, at the time of this recording, I have read it. Okay, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but the new, the latest run of Moon Knight is also coming up. Interested in that? Cool. I think there's going to be two Moon Knights. I know a little. Just from because uh, from Moon Knight Core, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from the meme page, yeah. The idea being that Konshu has two hands, so he will have two fists, and uh, yeah, we'll just see how that plays out. But we'll be covering that on the next episode as well. Yep, cool. I've got some Deadpool, more than likely. I've got some. Remember Mutant X, that uh, that alt-reality title? <laughs> yeah. Might go back to that. I've got some odds and ends, and if I get far enough, got some cable. Cool. Yep. Fun, fun. Well, then, I guess with that... No spot for it? Yeah, I think we could put the outro music here. Okay. And then uh, we'll cross paths like Monday. Vegas? Vegas for what you, Command Fest. Command, that's right. Awesome.